Live from the Coachella Valley, time for another hour of the desert scene. Art exhibitions to modernism, music festivals to live theater, big screen, little screen, and very little screen. This is the Culture Corner with Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And welcome to the Culture Corner. Uh, once again, we've got some guests and some a lot of entertainment news, some trivia and all kinds of stuff going on. What's up, Brian? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty productive week this week so far. How are you doing? Good, good, good. You know, and I'm just happy that it's, you know, it's uh, May and it's getting warmer and more people are getting vaccinated. And I just, you know, I feel like we're kind of on the uphill, uphill Upswing. Upswing sounds better. Momentum towards the up. Yes. (laughs) So um, what do you want to start? We got a lot of news. We got a lot of things to talk about. But first, I have to report the very sad and tragic passing of Olympia Dukakis on May 1st, which was this week. And oh, boy, what a she's a legend. She's one of those people. She was like 91, something like that. 89. 89. 89. She has done more than 130 stage productions. Wow. More than 60 movies and starred in about 50 television productions. And she won an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for her performance in Moonstruck as Cher's mother. She was fabulous. She was fabulous. (laughs) She really was. And what I like about that performance was that she she's always been able to play like wise characters who Mm -hmm. are also really fun and approachable because every time I see movies with like motherly or grandmotherly figures a lot of times they're either a so like spiteful and mean or Mm -hmm. they're very um, pious but in this case Olympia Dukakis managed to bring out like this a character that is wise but yet but always always funny there was always some humor there's always a snap to her and I loved her in Moonstruck probably the most of all her movies I think that's Mm -hmm. my favorite movies of hers but I think for me I also really loved her in Steel Magnolias. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And with Steel Magnolias, she played the gossipy uh, Claire Bletcher. Mm -hmm. And I I remember that movie is, uh, you know what I like about Steel Magnolias? It's one of those stories that it's just, it's just a beautiful story of all these women who live who are intergenerational older mm-hmm. younger forming a bond together and i love the fact that in the movie you feel the bond even if they're not always on screen together yeah. like mm-hmm. when the characters have their own lives and their own dilemmas and somehow that movie has multiple storylines but it doesn't mm-hmm. feel crammed no 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 I, I mean it was it just it was a great story and you see the you know the, all the women you're right their friendships and then they fight and then they squabble and they you know different things happen and there's tragedy and um, re- just yeah well done movie really and I think Olivia Dukakis is one of the most um, celebrated figures in that movie and I, I remember that famous scene where Sally Field is um, spoiler alert for an older movie that you should have seen by now yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> it's, go see it but it's yeah. like so there's a scene where uh something bad happens and Sally Field is crying about it and she's really hurt and she's like why me I just need to hit something and Olympia Dukakis grabs Shirley Shirley McClain hit her (laughs) hit her and that's like that was funny (laughs) yes that was great and that's just one of those legendary I would almost say like legendary scenes because Mm -hmm. it just it's perfect like it's perfect timing and just she's the only person that could have sold that moment and every time and i feel bad saying this but every time i see a production of steel of magnolias you think about her i think about her and i think about the other actresses and i I feel bad saying that because they're always so what every production i've seen of it 
It's wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful cast every time. But I feel but it's like hard to beat the original. Yeah, it's really hard to beat. So well cast, everybody was so great in that. And did you know that originally, um, when that movie was being first uh, bought, purchased because it was a play and then it was purchased mm-hmm. as a movie, mm-hmm. that Betty Davis actually wanted to have that role of uh, the Shirley MacLaine role as Weezer. And that Catherine Hepburn was going to get the Olympia Dukakis role, and it and Elizabeth Taylor was going to get the Dolly Parton role. So they wanted all these older actresses, but when they got down to it, I think Betty Davis ultimately changed her mind. And looking yeah. back at it, I'm like, they're those three are great actresses, but, but that wouldn't have worked with this that story. No, certainly yeah. not. And mm-hmm. for you, like other than. Um, what is your favorite Olympia Dukakis moment, like, or performance in general? Well, isn't there, there this one? I'm trying to remember the exact scene in uh, Moonstruck where she uh, shares, and, and I think Olympia Dukakis, she says, Did somebody die? Who died? Or she, woke, <laughs> she wakes her up on the line, Who died? You know, <laughs> she was just so good in that. Yeah, I mean, those two stand out. Yeah, those two movies, absolutely. And then I also remember her very vividly in the Tales of the City. Of the the Tales of the City miniseries because those are Didn't based. See that. So Tales of the City basically is about this um, woman who, this young woman who moves to San Francisco and all her adventures with her friends, and it's very LGBT centric. And she's mm-hmm. very famous for playing a trans woman in this part. Good and, for her. And at the time, Olympia Dukakis, you know, funny enough, I know that there's a discussion about we should give trans women. A, a priority to play trans characters but when the miniseries was brought back for Netflix a lot of like trans people went up to me and said you know there's one exception and it's Olympia Dukakis they were, fi- they were fine with that yeah because yeah. like she played her very dignified and the fact that I think Olympia Dukakis didn't go in there like a lot of these actors saying I'm a man in a dress or I'm going to win an Oscar because of this mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I think she said this is a character she's a woman she's the landlady she has she's just happens to be a trans woman navigating through that right and so it was more progressive than it it should have been and so I think it helps that Olympia Dukakis is just a naturally likable person mm-hmm. I think that you even if you've never seen her in an interview, you see her in a movie and you're like, that's a woman that's actually really likable yeah. or that's someone that's really likable, which, you know, for women, it's harder to come across as likable in movies because, you know, because it's complicated. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to put it, but without saying the S word, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're right. I think it just came through her. Her whole aura was just somebody you'd love to go sit down and have a cup of coffee or a glass of wine with and just hang out. Yeah. Yeah. And she was nominated for an Emmy for for more Tales of the City when she played um, Anna Mardigo. The I, I always forget how to say her last name on that show, but like it was a good performance. So I always recommend if you want to see um, a a if you want to see some performances, Moonstruck and Steel Magnolias, and in the case and Tales of the City, I would say those are her best performances. Um, there was a documentary that recently came out about her called Olympia, which came out in 2000 and, uh, I believe 2018, but now it's reached a wider audience this year. I'd like to see that. Cause I don't know anything about her younger life, about when she first started and sort of stayed, you know, only know her from these, you know, later movies. And in, in her younger life, she was mostly a stage actress. Mm-hmm. Like she mostly did, um, off break production, off Broadway productions. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I say off break. Mm-hmm. Off Broadway production. She did uh, Long Day's Journey into the Night. Okay. She also did a production of Our Town, and so she she's done. She was mostly a stage actress, and mm-hmm. I think she was one of those people that 
when she got famous, it was mostly because at that point they were somebody cut on that maybe she could act in movies. Yeah. And she she was one of those lucky actresses where in her older age she got she got some good parts. Yeah, she got some good parts, yeah. and I think she embraced them pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that's really beloved about Olympia Dukakis is that she advocated a lot for uh, women's rights and LGBT yeah, rights. Good for her. Yeah. yeah, and she. And one of the things she said was that she was able to play like a trans woman on television, but she also played a butch lesbian in a movie called Cloud Burst. And she's always been unafraid to take on riskier parts because Mm -hmm. I know that nowadays, like the conversation is about like, you know, LGBT people should definitely try to get more opportunities. But I think that at the time when they weren't given those opportunities, actors oftentimes saw playing a gay character or a trans character as the mark of death. Yeah. Too risky in a career. Yeah. Too risky or unless they were going to win an Oscar. But usually if they didn't win an Oscar, it'd be the mark of death. Like Dirk Brigade and Victim. That was the end of his career in England. But Mm -hmm. In the case of Olympia Dukakis, I think she embraced these roles because she said, you know what, I want to humanize these people. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate her for doing that. And I think that she's one of those actresses that I'm going to be honest, I don't think she gets enough recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're probably right. Yeah. I think she, yeah, she really had a pretty amazing career. And, and uh, you know, bravo, Olympia. Well, <laughs> well done. Bravo. Well done. Well, well yeah. done. But I was going to say, let's. I actually we forgot to actually update our audience, and I think a lot of you have heard. But Lady Gaga's dogs, the situation was that last week. I, I'm going to apologize for neglecting to mention it last week, but five people were arrested in connection to Lady Gaga's dogs being kidnapped, and one of them was actually the woman that originally called in the ransom. Mm-hmm. That when Lady Gaga put out a ransom, a reward, the woman who called in about the dogs. She's actually one of the five people arrested. And it's funny because I remember on that episode, you had said something. Oh, I hope she's not the one. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, Bonnie, come on. And then it turns out you were right. I was like, you always have to wonder about that. I watch a lot of Dateline. So (laughs) So it's one of those things where I, I... I over I underestimated you in this case, Bonnie. But <laughs> my my dark doom and gloom take on things. Okay. The the cynicism one this yeah. time. I was gonna say that uh but in the case of Lady Gaga's dogs, like the the it was it fi- it actually turns out that they weren't targeted because of the owner. It, specifically they the were the type tar- of dog. The type of dog because mm-hmm. they were expensive and I gotta say it's I'm not surprised by these developments and I'm glad that they're that the man that got shot he is getting justice okay good and he's okay he's doing better and i think lady gaga paid for his bills and all that Mm. because like the fun the interesting thing is that recently there was another um celebrity situation where a celebrity's like assistant got sick and the celebrity kylie jenner actually went out of her way didn't actually pay for the medical bills in fact she posted a i remember that go fund me yeah so i think it's kind of interesting that in this whole development that lady gaga proves that she is generous generous and unfortunately a much more much more um kinder person compassionate compassionate person Mm -hmm. than a lot of celebrities especially since one was a dog walker and the other one was a makeup person i Mm -hmm. imagine that in the case of kylie jenner you would want to make sure your makeup artist was financially stable. Like, it doesn't make yeah. sense to me. And she's got a pile of money. I mean, my God. It's not like it was, it, she would have <laughs> noticed missing anything. That's true. And for me, it's like, 
I think even in some way she makes more money than Lady Gaga. I almost want to assume she does because, like, believe it or not, like, uh, people people would assume just because you have a singing career that somehow you make more money. That's not necessarily true. Well, one of those girls is a billionaire. I don't know. Is that, is it Kylie? One of them, she has a makeup line and she's like, uh, I think it was, I had a billion, I think. I think Might be her. I think it is Kylie Jenner because she has, she has her own business and I mean, everything. And that, it takes a lot of nerve to their not help pay the medical expenses of a makeup artist when you got that kind of money. I mean, that's just, I'm sorry. No, I agree with you. And I think for me, like in the case of like the dog walker with Lady Gaga, it's like, well, it was obvious she, she paid for it mm-hmm. and she didn't, she didn't hesitate. I don't it, think she thought twice. Yeah. She just but did in, it. But in the case of the makeup artist where it's like a medical situation, I'm like, come on, you could have paid for that. And, and the fact is that, you know, I think the world would have looked down on Lady Gaga really harshly if she didn't pay for the yeah. bills because, I mean, he was a victim of a horrible attack, especially yeah. considering what happened. Yeah, so yeah it was not his fault. And, and, and you know what? Here's the thing about that. No matter what level of money you have, I have found when you give, it comes. it's karma. It comes back to you eventually, no matter how much you have and how even if it's a small amount. You know, being generous is, is a good thing. No, I agree with that. And even, hey, even if you have an extra dollar, you know, and someone asks for it, it's always good to give it because guess what? That always comes back in some positive way. But absolutely. Hey, stay tuned. We're going to discuss the most disappointing television finales of all time. I love it. (laughs) Stay tuned. You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Here are Bonnie and Brian. Hey, in this segment, we're going to talk about the most disappointing television finales of all time. And so let's see if what our personal choices would be. In your case, Bonnie, what would be a television finale that off the top of your head that is was disappointing when you saw it? That is really hard. Um... Because, you know, I, those, I mean, I haven't watched that, you know, television sitcoms or that kind of thing for many years. So mine would be like a long time ago. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and I never really watched it, to be honest with you, or hardly ever. But I know some people were disappointed with the way Seinfeld ended. You know, th- I often hear that up a yeah. lot because, like, when I watch Seinfeld, the finale where they all oh, go... Oh, we're in jail or all something. All in jail. Yeah. And a lot of people felt it was really cynical and mean. And looking back at it, I did look up reviews, like, guesses, right? And a lot of people mm-hmm. at the time kind of misunderstood Seinfeld because when you go back and watch the show, it's pretty cynical and like these characters Mm -hmm. are not nice people Mm -hmm. i think now looking back at it it's like okay like those actually were mean people and the finale makes sense Mm -hmm. but i have heard of people who at the i saw an article that said will elaine and jerry get together and i'm almost like oh this poor dear they didn't actually watch the show they were looking at and when i look and for me personally like seinfeld at first was a little disappointing but then i kind of got over it and I thought about it. I wouldn't say it's one of the greatest finales of all mm-hmm. time, but because for me, some of the greatest finales of all time would be like, in my opinion, like the Twin Peaks, uh, the season three finale mm-hmm. 
and Sex and City, which had a great finale, in my opinion. I liked Cheers. Cheers had a great finale. And, and Mary Tyler Moore. MASH. All and Ma- Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. Ma- MASH and Mary Tyler yeah. Moore. It, Those were all good. When I, look, when I look back at finales that were great, I always imagine sitcoms, for some reason, always they tend to nail it more than uh, dramas because a lot mm-hmm. of cases, dramas, they fall apart by the end because they're much more serious and all that. Like, yeah. I... I I thought the Desperate Housewives finale had the potential to be didn't, great. Didn't see that, but it was it was okay. Like yeah. it was fine. But but let's talk about what you got on your list there of the worst ones. So I'm on curious. the survey on onbuy.com, which is a UK uh, survey slash like shop. So it's like a sh- it's a it's a shopping center, but it's also they do surveys. And so they found out that twenty seven when they were allowed when people were allowed to do multiple name multiple mm-hmm. series when it. When they were able to, it turns out twenty seven point three percent of viewers said Lost had the most. See, I, never watched, I never watched any of that. So I have no idea. <laughs> and with Game of Thrones coming second, as voted by twenty five percent of respondents, and then How I Met Your Mother was seventeen percent, and then Sherlock Holmes, Prison Break, and Dexter were among the many. And then when it turns out, when they were asked to name one without naming multiple. Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones came up the most. So they did two surveys, one where they were allowed to name only one, and Game of Thrones came out number one each time. But when they were allowed to do multiples, it seems that Lost kept showing up mm-hmm. in everyone. Even if they don't mention Game of Thrones, Lost got mentioned more. And so I actually would say that that's not, that's not inaccurate. I would say that when I saw Lost, the finale to me, it was just... So the, did they all get rescued? I mean, I never watched any of it, so I don't know. So, like, in the, the show itself, like, at that point, the, will they get rescued had stopped being, like, a question by that point. Yeah, yeah. Because they did time travel and they did a lot of, like, different dimensions and travel. So it was kind travel. of out of the question. It was out of the question. Yeah. And, like, and the finale, the conclusion that the series got to was so ill rewarding that I was mm. blown away by the fact that this is the answer you're going to give people like mm. it's, especially since six seasons of mystery and like what's in the island what's going on with the island why are the characters this way what is what's the secret why are these characters at this moment and mm-hmm. then ho- disappointing and same with Game of Thrones all these mysteries were given rushed conclusions and Game of Thrones they basically took what could have been three seasons of story and they put them into six one hour episodes and I mm-hmm. thought, you know what, like that's I think it's more disappointing when a show claims to have all these mysteries and answers mm-hmm. and then nothing. In the case of Game of Thrones, they turned one of the most f- beloved heroes in all of television and she became one of the villains towards the end and mm-hmm. a lot of people were mad because they felt not only was it in their opinion just bad writing they also said you know it's a sexist trope when a woman doesn't get with a man and then she becomes evil like yeah, it's funny yeah. how this character saves all these people and frees slaves and at the end because she doesn't get a man she, all of a sudden she's no good yeah she, she kills all these people <laughs> <laughs> and and then when i look back at it like how i met your mother i remember i saw that and when they they when the conclusion they went for for the mother because we already had met the mother at the beginning of season nine and she was such a likable character, and what they do to her at the end, I'm like, you know, you could have come up with something better. That mm-hmm. that to me felt like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And other finales listed on Yardbreaker, for example, include Roseanne's finale, the original Roseanne finale. Yeah, I didn't see that. The original Roseanne finale. It turns out, are you gonna watch Roseanne? Uh, uh, 
I, 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 I think I saw it once or twice way back when, <laughs> but that's about it. I was gonna, the original Roseanne finale, it turns out the whole series was a book. Okay. And so, like, a lot of people were mad because, like, she went out of her way to say, okay, all that happened in the book, in the series, didn't happen. And then the new Roseanne, when it came back, they made that into a joke. So I was like, well, well she shot herself in the foot in any way. <laughs> so, you know, we don't really care. She was just, mo- what a moron. Yeah. And, and another thing was, like, Will and Grace, well, the two characters don't get along anymore at the end. So I'm like, okay, well, thanks for that. But those are some really noteworthy bad series finales in mm-hmm. my opinion and <laughs> one of the I still one of the best was Cheers I love Cheers, uh, Cheers. it was very che- well done if you make a TV show if your finale is half as good as Cheers that that's a good sign yeah. alright we're gonna come back with uh, Mr. Michael Holmes owner of the Purple Room we're so excited to talk to him in just a bit on the Culture Corner The curtain rises on local and regional arts and entertainment. From music to theater, films to fine art, it's The Culture Corner. Get connected. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And we're back on the Culture Corner. Now we are joined by um, a really talented super guy who's brought so much great entertainment to the Valley, Mr. Michael Holmes, who is the owner of the Purple Room. Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm great, Bonnie. How are you? Good, good, good. So, um, you know, it's been a tough time for a tough year, more than a year, for uh, oh. en- entertainers and local venues. So You know. Yeah. So tell us what's... I know there's a, there's a movement, Save Live Music, Help the Purple Room Reopen, because people are, are you know, want to see you guys reopen, absolutely, because you bring so much great stuff to town, and people are having a hard time. So tell us about this program and how people can help. Well, it's a really wonderful thing. I was talking with my friend Sue Cameron, the author and writer um, and journalist, and uh, I was telling her how uh, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I've already borrowed a quarter of a million dollars in addition to what I already owed, Mm -hmm. you know, just to pay the bills while we were closed. And there are some government programs occurring um, but like the PPP loans and whatnot, they just really did not help us because we weren't able to be open on any level. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so it's caught, it's been an average of about twenty thousand dollars a week a month. Excuse me. Of expenses, to, yeah. To closed, yeah. And uh, now we're we're on fourteen months, so it's wow. a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully some things will come, will open up, and uh, these incredibly generous and kind, caring people have been donating to this GoFundMe account. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, Save the Purple Room, Save Live Music on, on GoFundMe, and um, it's been pretty amazing. And now you, because uh, in the Purple Room, it's such a, if you haven't, if you're listening, you haven't been to the Purple Room, you're, you've missed out. You, as soon as they reopen, you got to check it out. But you, you don't have an outside, you don't have like a patio area, and you're, it's a, it's an intimate room, so you're not really in a position where you could do like fifty percent capacity or something like that, correct? Well, our last night open, um, we did fifty percent, mm-hmm. 
capacity, but with social distancing mm-hmm. and everything and no bar, we ended up at 34 people. Mm. Yeah. Which, you know, it's hard to keep the doors open on 34 people. Plus, uh, in addition, um, and you know, I'm not the only one, but we do bring in a lot of entertainers from all over the country. Mm-hmm. And it has to be a vi- financially viable option for them. Sure. Everybody's biting at the bit to perform, but you can't fly in from New York uh, for, n- for nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know. Absolutely. So, so uh, this is getting us set up so that um, a lot of different things. There are a lot of expenses in opening. There are a lot of contract expenses uh, with entertainers, you have to give put deposits down, et cetera. Right. And uh, this GoFundMe is really making the, an enormous difference in our lives. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I'm looking, I went online, and what I, I saw, the latest thing I saw was, so the goal is 240000 and it looks like it's 141485 uh, and may, might be more than that, because that was um, earlier today, or last yesterday. Um, so you're... Getting there, but not now. Do you have? Do you? I know it's a changing thing. It changes all the time. But do you have a feeling at all for when here in the valley, venues like yours might completely reopen? I know you don't know for sure. Nobody knows for sure, but nobody knows. But what we're looking at is to open Labor Day weekend. Okay. The I have to, um, you know, book the entertain. It's you don't want to book entertainers when they can't. When you can't, I, you know, they're saying June fifteenth, but what if it isn't yeah. June fifteenth? Right. Kind of thing. Right. So we thought Labor Day would be a little safer mm-hmm. to start bringing everybody in and uh, get going and try and keep the lights on. Yeah, you know. Uh, now, are you hearing from, because um, I know there's some performers that you've booked multiple times, but big names from out of town. Are you hearing from some of them saying, boy, gosh, we'd love to come back, but, you know, but they're in, they're trying to deal with us all this big mess, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they haven't worked in 14 months either. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's ready. So I'm actually booking the fall season. Um you know, everything is tentative. Everybody's mm-hmm. very cool about it. We all yeah. know that we just have to ride the wave and see what happens. Yeah. But I've got um, Marilyn May and uh, Hampton Calloway, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Diane Shore, mm-hmm. Brandon and James, um, and a lot of tentative. Jane Mon yeah. Height. Oh, she's um, great. Yeah. Regulars that come in here, Scott Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Harris, mm. Nikki Harris. Do you yeah. know Nikki Harris? I don't. No. Oh my God! I you would just love her. So she was the lead. Uh, so they call them backup singers. I say support singers uh-huh. uh, for Madonna for oh, years. Okay. But this beautiful woman has one of the most amazing, thrilling voices I've ever heard. Okay. And she's now branched out into her solo act, and it's jazz. Mm-hmm. And you you've, know. you've had her before, haven't you? Booked her before? I have. Yeah. And she's just blown me away. So yeah. So I'm in conversations with her. Okay. So we're lining up a lot of, a lot of stars. Good. We're all just hoping. Fingers crossed. 
work. Yeah. So would you say in your career, Michael, I know you've been in this business a long time, is this this pan- old. <laughs> is this pandemic uh, one of the biggest challenges you've ever faced professionally? Well, as you know, uh, life as an entertainer is not as easy as it might seem. Right, right. For years I toured and, you know, did all that. Um, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, it's like, oh, I didn't get the gig. This is, there are no gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. As a matter of fact, a lot of the clubs have closed. Yeah, good. some like, of them aren't coming back. That's sad, yeah. Yeah, the reason we, uh, you know, I'm not one to ask for help. I I tend to, you know, lead the call to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just in a unique position. Yeah. And in the meantime, just paying and paying and paying. And uh, uh, Birdland in New York, the Catalina Jazz Club in L.A., We've all talked, and they also did fund uh, GoFundMe's because, yeah. it, you know, for, 14 months without any income and about 20000 a month going out is a lot of money. That's a pro- Yeah, that's a lot of money. Let me, I have to ask you this, Michael, it, just from a personal standpoint, and I've asked this of a number of uh, performers in particular that I've known, how have you, as a person, as a human being, as well as performer, stayed sane or halfway sane during this last 14 months because it's been challenging How, what what have you done to kind of keep yourself together mentally well, it's interesting because uh, i was having a conversation with a, another friend of mine who's an entertainer about just how fluid time has been because mm-hmm. um there you know i'm used to working seven days a week yeah yeah and uh so I just move a big pile of stuff from over here, and then I take it to the other side of the room and look at it for a while and then move it back. I mean, yeah, that- <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, it's, it's really been surreal. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, it's been depressing. Yeah. Been challenging. I'm not one generally to be depressed, but boy, this one. It's hard. There were days where it was just hard to get out of bed. Yeah. And now, do you think, um, do you, do you, I know you're a wonderful performer, you do the Judy show, and do you write any of your own material or write songs? I, I, I don't know that about you. Write songs? I don't particularly write songs. I do uh, write lyrics. Okay. So kind I, of rewrite songs, especially okay. in comedic mode. Okay. I've done a lot of that with Darcy uh, yeah. Daniels. And we love Darcy, lovers, uh-huh. my soul sister. Um, so I was just wondering, is, I, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of creative people, once this is all over, and hopefully it'll be soon, um, there's going to be some material that's come out of this, you know, know. out of this experience. Yeah. Well, they say a comedy is pain plus time. Yes, yes. Oh, this is just food for fodder. We're going to get through it. Yeah. And I, 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 well, I mean, I've already been, I've gained so much weight. I said I'm going to start doing the Toadie Field show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, just, just so so people are listening, how can they help? What what do they what do they go to online? How could they help donate? Well, you can go to our website, okay. purpleroompalmsprings.com. Okay. There's a link there. There, and by the way, there are some amazing videos 
that uh, a lot of the stars have have recorded, and we put them together, and we're do, putting more up all the time. Mm-hmm. The GoFundMe page is um, Save Live Music, Help Purple Room Reopen. You can go to GoFundMe.com, and in the search, just type Purple Room. Okay. I could give you the address, but it's an enormously long... Uh, no, that's okay. I think they... Yeah, so go to PurpleRoomPalmSprings.com, go to the GoFundMe page, Save Live Music... Help Purple Room re- reopen. Now, are, have yeah. you been surprised at all uh, about how generous people have been, about how many people have stepped up? Well, I, 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 I'm speechless. I really am. I mean, I've been beside myself. I didn't want to do it, and mm-hmm. then they convinced me to do it, and we added, um, they put in the amount, the goal, and mm-hmm. they said, well, this is how much you've spent already this year. Uh, that you had to go in debt for mm-hmm. $200,000. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. Why would anybody give to that? <laughs> you know? And they have. Yeah. People have it's been unreal. And I'm just I'm in tears half the time when I see this. And well- well, Michael, I, I'm not surprised because you have, first of all, it's a wonderful place. You bring so much entertainment, but you do give back a lot. I mean, I, I was part of the, your, your Christmas toy drive with Darcy and wrapping the presents. I mean, you guys worked really hard for that. That was huge and got, gave Christmas to so many kids who might not otherwise have it. So, you know, what goes around comes around. You've been really giving and generous to a lot of people, and so people are stepping up to help you. So I'm not surprised at all. Well, thank you. That's very sweet. I mean, I, but it's the truth. It really is the truth. Well, I'm so let, we're going to keep our fingers crossed big time for Labor Day, Labor Day weekend. And I'm going to I'm going to go on and, and donate either later today or tomorrow. But um, purple. And so when when if all goes well, if all goes well and Labor Day is the weekend's the time, when's the next Judy show we can look forward to? Well, it would be Labor Day weekend. Okay. Sunday. Okay. Sunday of Labor Day. Oh, well, and it might be the Toady Field show. You never know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, well, you know what? Even if it was, you'd ha- we'd have to pad you up a little bit. I'm sure you do a great job. You know, I still haven't seen the Judy show. I'm embarrassed to say I'm going to see it. This hey, one, I'm hanging up now. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael. Listen, you know, please, please help out. PurpleRoomPalmSprings.com. Save live music. Help Purple Room. GoFundMe page. This is a wonderful venue. And Michael to bring so much great entertainment. is such a great guy. I want to help you out. Fingers crossed. Thank you, Michael, for, for being here. I know it's all going to work out. We're going to get you reopened and back up. Thank you so much. Thank Pre- you so much. I so appreciate it. All right. You take care. Hang in there. We're rooting for you. Thank you, dear. All right. Okay. We'll be back with much more on the Culture Corner in just a moment. Listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Live from the desert cities of Southern California, here's Brian and Bonnie. Now, Steven Sodenberg is kind of. Uh, did this really wonderful interview with the Los Angeles Times. I mean, I wouldn't say wonderful, but sort of like insightful into the problems and into the criticisms that the Academy Awards this year got. I know that last week we talked about it quite a bit, quite a bit for almost a whole hour, but you know what? It's just, 
I just had to bring up this interview because he had mentioned a couple things. He had addressed a few things, and some of them I'm not entirely, I'm not surprised by some of his answers. So let's when, hear it. So when he was asked, basically. Why did they switch up the categories towards the end? Mm -hmm. Because that's the most controversial decision of the yeah. night, which is why did you end with Best Actor instead of Best Picture? Mm -hmm. He had said that in his conclusion that best that actor speeches tend to be more dramatic than producer speeches. And so he thought it'd be fun to mix it up, especially if people didn't know that was coming. And so that was always, according to him, always part of the plan, even before the nominations. And then he mentioned that there was even a possibility that if Chadwick Boseman had won, his widow would come and speak on his behalf and that afterwards they would stick to that. Mm -hmm. And so there, were, there was this discussion. He didn't entirely say it, but there was this sort of thing where when the nominations came that it sort of cemented that mm -hmm. decision because it's like, well, if Boseman might win, then that'd be a nice way to end the, the night. And for me... I will say this. I think he isn't wrong that actor speeches are more dramatic than producer speeches. It's just that at the end of the night when the best picture winner is announced, the producers tend to be very emotional mm -hmm. and it's just a nice like low key way of ending the night. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I don't think he I agree with you. He's not wrong in this assessment of the speeches, but I don't think that was a reason enough to switch it. And you know. and certainly like I feel like Best Picture, like, that's the award everyone's looking forward to. Exactly. That's the big one. I was like, what's going to win? Yeah. And so, like, honestly, when the Best Picture nominee winner came on, I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's over. I like, did, too. I'm I was like, did I miss Best Actor somehow? What happened? <laughs> you know. And it, it just became a thing where, like, I, I, I don't think having this idea of, like, a twist ending or whatever just didn't really work out. I feel like from... And no. for me, it's like the ratings probably went down right after that. It's like, okay, well, I don't Some care. Some people turned it off because they thought it was over and, it, you know, whatever. Yeah. And he had said that another another thing he had brought up was, would this is a question in the Los Angeles Times. In hindsight, would you rethink the decision not to allow Zoom for anyone who couldn't make it to the production sites? And he just said no. So, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that person. I'm going to say it. Zoom would not have been any worse than what happened in the last I few agree. minutes. I agree with you. Uh, and this is, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, the, the extraordinary circumstances call for extraordinary creative responses to them. So it's not like, well, people were just lazy. They didn't want to get on a plane. They're not, you know, I, yeah, I think under this circumstance, uh, yes. And Anthony Hopkins, I think everybody would have liked to have seen Anthony Hopkins on Zoom making a speech. Yeah, yeah. and they could have also done this thing where they could have, you know, they, Judy Garland, actually, when she was giving birth in, 1950, uh, in the 1950s, like she was nominated for A Star is Born in mm -hmm. uh, 1954. And it's such a great performance. Yeah. And one of the things is that they expected her to win so much that they even sent a camera crew to the hospital. Oh, yeah. And I even thought, you know what? In hindsight, they could have sent, a, they could have paid someone full, uh, full amount and mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. to have them go to Anthony Hopkins' house. Yeah. And record a um, an acceptance if yeah. he won. Yeah. And I thought that would have been a really neat idea. But yeah. I mean, if they could do it in 1954, I have no reason to believe that they couldn't do it. 2021. Now. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things they said was, 
and, and another thing he brought up was the fact that he didn't read any reviews this year. He like he said, I wasn't aware that people didn't like the lack of clips or montages. And he said that this was an opportunity, in his opinion, that we're going to go ahead and try different things. If certain things work, they work. If things don't work, they don't work. Because he said that the I mean, he is right. The Academy Awards should change things up a bit, but. I think he isn't right in taking it at... I think, for me at least, I think so things... Uh, I believe personally that they should have uh, done a a period of five years of trying out new things. Where one year they don't have the clips. Or one year they do it mm-hmm. cinematically. Or one mm-hmm. year they switch it up. I don't think it was a good idea to put all these different Changes risks... Changes all together. All together. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was, in my opinion, a bad idea. Because for me, it's like, the next year, like, look, I tune in because I watch movies but i feel like eventually my generation will be less and less inclined mm-hmm. to want to tune into the academy awards mm-hmm. and in my opinion another thing they did wrong was they didn't offer up a good streaming option that to me was a mm-hmm. really bad way of doing it because mm-hmm. i mean during the pandemic people lost their jobs why are they going to pay for cable just for the mm-hmm. academy awards if they couldn't even pay money to go to the movies yeah yeah but i wanted to get your thoughts on some of these answers you know it's just well, I, I think that, I mean, I understand the urge to try something new, but I think uh, most of it didn't work. I mean, I think I think you need to go back to having Best Pictures, the last award. I think you uh, should always have the clips. People want to see the clips, especially if you're someone like me who, I mean, the, there were a couple of years where I d- d- was determined I'm going to go see every at least every Best Picture nom. That was before they had... 10 or 12 or whatever they have now <laughs> but when they had five I was, i'm gonna go see but some people don't get a chance to see the movies and they like seeing the clips because at least it gives them a flavor of the movie and the performance of the actor i think you've got to have those back in no i agree with you and another yeah. thing that we mentioned last week what that i forgot to mention was the academy awards got a lot of i'm gonna say crap for this but they did not they did not ever pay tribute to the theaters, the struggling theaters, just like how... Yeah, it, they should have done something like that. Yeah. Because the Grammys paid tribute to a lot of like local musicians and the music industry that was suffering in general. They paid tribute to a lot of like record stores and all that stuff. But the Academy Awards, they did not pay tribute to the movie theaters. And I think for me, that was horrible because movie theaters, the Academy owes a lot to movie theaters. and they Absolutely. Sh- and they're struggling, struggling, struggling. Yeah. And the fact is, like, even our local theaters are having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And I go to a movie theater and you know what? It is an optimistic site when I went to the movies that it was almost filled up to capacity because, of course, we still have to distance ourselves and mm-hmm. all that. So, but I've also noticed that Warner Brothers, like, when I look at the box office, the first week when a new movie comes out, it's fine. It's okay for a pandemic, but then it, it dips right away because it feels like it, no nobody's really sure about going to the movie theaters right now. So, like, movie theaters really are having a hard time, mm-hmm. and they keep... And I feel bad because they kept getting teased. Like, Godzilla vs. Kong opened really well, but then the second week it dropped. Mm-hmm. And then Mortal Kombat opened up really well. I feel bad for movie theaters because they keep constantly being teased that you know these movies are going to make money for you and then they really don't no and yeah they should have had a special thing have somebody some big name at one of some small movie theater in the midwest with a camera and a mic and just talking about thank you to all the movies or something something yeah and i also believe like i mean i think the academy should have also done this thing where they could have fundraised and do like a fund and have mm-hmm. all these movie stars donate throughout the evening because you know uh, for example at the harvey milk diversity breakfast here in pond springs they have this 
event, but they also have it's a fundraiser within a fundraiser yeah. event mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to donate to the organization. So they could have done something like that, yeah. and it's kind of sad that it wasn't the case. Yep, absolutely. Well, all right. Well, it was nice he did that interview, but we don't like his answers too much. <laughs> just saying. We'll be right back on the Culture Corner in just a moment. Mm-hmm. 